0: What do you want? It's not that simple. What it's... do you want? The meatloaf! We want it now! I love you. I know. We were on the break! I'm Um, Let's put our hands together. Let's welcome everyone watching in online. Glad to have you. Everyone doing good this week? Awesome. Anyone taping the Oscars right now? No one cares, great. It's a good night to have church then. So if you have your Bible, you can go ahead and open up to 1 Corinthians chapter 7. We're gonna get there in just a second. Um, If you have been with us the last two weeks, welcome. My name's Clay. And, uh, and I'm the pastor here at Sub 30. But if you've been with us the last two weeks, uh, we've been in a series, as you can see behind me, called "It's Not Me, It's You." There's uh, the Kellers right there helping us out in the promo. And uh, yeah, are they here tonight? No, we're gonna give them a shout out anyway. So, uh, would have been a good night to be in church Saturday night. But uh, oh, calling people out tonight. Uh, but we've been in this series on sex and marriage and dating, and tonight is like the finale. It's it's the third night, uh, third week in a row, and we're kind of wrapping some things up tonight. And uh, I'm really excited to share. Have you enjoyed this series so far? Has it been good? Has it been beneficial? Uh, good, that, that's our hope uh, that it would be beneficial and that you would be encouraged. And uh, hopefully there's, there's been something for everyone. There's single people, there's people in dating relationships, there's married people uh, that come to Sub 30 and the whole deal. And I'm excited to wrap it all up tonight and preach. I do wanna say that we have some special guests in the house tonight and I just wanted to recognize them. Uh, we got Phil and Andrew with us from Northern Ireland, our church in Northern Ireland. And uh, it's good to have you boys. Maybe on the soccer pitch tomorrow morning? Yeah, all right. So, uh, but yeah, we, we love you guys. Glad to have you here. All the way from our campus in uh, Northern Ireland. So hey, uh, if you have your Bible, open up, you're, you're there, 1 Corinthians chapter seven. Um, I wanna give a quick recap. If you weren't here last week, just real fast recap before we jump into this week. Uh, If you didn't catch uh, the message, you know you can always go to like Sub 30 uh, on on the podcast, Celebration Church podcast, or uh, celebration.org and you can watch the videos of all the messages here at Celebration Church and you can get caught up. But last week we talked a lot about the passion, right? Talked about uh, you you got a passion inside of you. Um, It's a sexual desire. It's it's emotional, sexual passion that's inside of us. We talked about how to manage uh, that. The first thing we talked about last week is that you can be successfully single, right? We we talked about Paul. Paul is a great illustration in the Bible of someone who did a lot, accomplished a lot for the kingdom of God, all while being single in the later years of his life. Uh, The second thing last week was we talked about managing the passion. Uh, that passion needs parameters if it's going to serve the right purpose, right? We talked about the fire. We, we talked about the fire was out here. The fire is a good thing. Uh, and, and the same thing that can warm your house in the winter and, and, and bring a, a comfort to you is also the same substance that's burning down forests. Um, the difference is whether or not it's contained. We talked about how to contain and put parameters around the passion. And the third thing we talked about last week is how shame is never the answer. Please hear me tonight, shame is never ever the answer. A lot of people um, who are listening to these messages either in these services or maybe they're gonna watch them at some point on internet or podcast. Um, if, if you're struggling in the area of sexuality and relationships and all this kind of stuff, shame is never the answer. The enemy wants to convince you that shame is the answer. And if you can just walk around the rest of your life feeling shameful, then maybe you can pay God back in some way. And that'll work, shame is never uh, the answer and that Jesus Christ uh, is a different kind of fire. Our God is a consuming fire and we can fight fire with fire when we allow Jesus to come in and be our sole passion. And so I wanna jump into this week's message. Um, It's, it's, I wanna give a a little warning. It's gonna be heavy at some points. And um, I wanna use a quick analogy before we read scripture. Uh, The Bible uses um, the analogy of a pastor being a shepherd. Right? That, and, and, and obviously some people might be going to either Celebration Church on a Sunday morning, you go to another church on a Sunday morning. Um, so I'm a, a pastor, a shepherd perhaps in your life. Maybe you have a senior pastor somewhere. Pastor Stovall and Kerry would obviously be another example for those of us here at Celebration um, during the weekends and, and throughout the week. Um, King David, the Bible said, he was, a, he was a shepherd having a rod and a staff. The interesting thing about a rod and a staff is a rod and a staff is yes, it's used to protect the sheep from predators, right? The Bible actually says that the rod and staff comfort when we read the Psalm, but but I need you to know tonight that the same rod and staff that would protect the sheep from predators, the shepherd would at times have to use it to take the sheep's feet out from underneath it to keep it from walking off the side of a cliff. And and so a pastor, for for a pastor, I believe that protection and correction kind of go hand in hand. And we can see this in in Paul's letter to the Corinthians. He loved them enough to say some difficult things to them to correct them at times in hopes to keep them from walking off a cliff and destroying their lives. And and so my prayer tonight is that as we kind of hear this word and receive this word, that we would not be offended, we would not be defensive, but we would recognize that the Bible is always meant to heal you, never to hurt you. Scripture's never meant to hurt you. So so if you if you read something and you walk away feeling hurt and wounded, that wasn't God. That's the enemy trying to bring shame. The scripture is meant to heal, it's never meant to, to hurt. And I would also ask tonight that you would just give me some grace as the communicator tonight um, as I try my very best to address some topics that are gonna probably stir up some raw emotion uh, for some people who are here tonight and maybe watching. Online, And uh, I'm believing that we're all gonna leave better, we're all gonna leave encouraged because uh, you can't look at the cross and what Jesus has done for us and not be encouraged and not be just rejoicing and and fulfilled and satisfied. And so that's gonna be the culmination of everything tonight. Um, But we're gonna talk about some real stuff. And and in the verses that we're gonna read tonight, what you'll notice is that um, Paul talks about, this is the theme for tonight, he talks about um, when passion dies. Last week we talked about the passion inside of you, right? Um, Paul's gonna talk about what happens when passion dies in a marriage relationship. The book of Ephesians, Paul writes, and he addresses the mystery of marriage when two become one. Who's ever heard that before, right? You get married, two become one. It's a brilliant uh, illustration of actually Christ and the church, two becoming one. But then he writes right here in 1 Corinthians chapter seven and he talks about what happens when now one become two again. You became one when you got married, but what happened? So so the question is, how is it that relationships that are meant to be forever don't last forever? We're gonna talk about that tonight. If you wanna give a title to this message, um, I wanna speak to you on what I've entitled How to Save Your Marriage. How to save your marriage. If you wanna add future in there, how to save your future marriage. Come on, somebody. Anyone in here not married, but would like to be married one day? I'm preaching to you tonight just as much as I'm preaching to the married couples in the room. And what I wanna do right now is I wanna invite my lovely wife to come up, Bethany. She's gonna join me real quick, and she's gonna pray for us. We're talking about marriage, so I figured let my better half come up, and, uh, and she's gonna pray as we get into it tonight. Lord, and that even in a room full of imperfect people, you are perfection for us, God. And I just thank you, Lord, that you have so many important things that you want to say tonight. I pray that you would just anoint clay, Father, that your word would just come through. God, that um, that your word would fall on good ground. Lord, that every heart in here, Father, would be open to hear what you have to say. And God, that it would bear much fruit in their lives. Jesus, marriage is so dear to your heart, Father, and I pray that it would be dear to us too. God, and let us just listen and receive and obey everything that you want us to hear and everything you want us to say in Jesus' name, amen. Awesome, awesome. Thanks, babe. Hey, 1 Corinthians chapter seven, starting in verse 10. Here we go. Says this, to the married, this is Paul, keep writing his letter. To the married, I give this command, not I, but the Lord, okay? A wife must not be separated from her husband, but if she does, she must remain unmarried or else be reconciled to her husband, and a husband must not divorce his wife, okay? There's gonna be a lot of things we're gonna talk about tonight, but, but we would do well uh, to understand the historical context of what's happening right here, okay? Back then, as Paul is writing, women are viewed as property, that, that, that's it. It's, it, was, it was horrible, right? And, and, and women are viewed as property. And so for a husband to divorce his wife was to leave her totally exposed to all the elements that life would bring. She, she was left with very little option. In fact, her only choices back then, if divorced, would be either to, to enter into being a slave or a prostitute. That, that's all she's got. And, and so Paul is speaking to this culture, and he's saying, hey, you don't just get to leave someone when you get tired of them. You don't just get to, to, to do that. You don't just get to move on with somebody else because things got kind of rough, right? Marriage was God's idea when he said the two shall become one. And, and as I was thinking and, and just processing all of this, it all goes back to Genesis chapter two, right? All goes back to Genesis chapter two where here's Adam and he, is he in the garden, right? God created Adam, Adam's in the garden, he's having a great time, but things are getting weird because Adam only has animal friends, okay? Here he is, he's only got animal friends. He's only talking to animals every single day. God looks down, he's like, yo, my boy is tripping. I gotta figure something out here, right? I mean, he's like riding drafts around and stuff, but you can only do that for so long and, and you're gonna get bored, right? God looks down, he's like, hey, my, my man needs a helper. He needs someone to come alongside. So, so God puts Adam to sleep, right? And, 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 and he takes a rib out of him. Now that's a whole nother message right there because what Adam needed was already in him, come on. We could could preach that another time. Adam didn't need somebody else to complete him. He was complete in and of himself with what God had put inside of him. But nevertheless, God wanted a suitable helper to bring alongside Adam. So so God puts Adam to sleep, right? He takes the rib, he makes Eve. Adam wakes up and the first thing he sees is a naked woman and he's like, whoa, man, right? God's like, cool, is that what you wanna call her, whoa, man, and he's like, yeah, okay. So, right, woman, yeah, 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 so right? And, and and here, so now here Adam and Eve, are, they're in the garden. They're, they're doing things. Everything is great. And then they totally mess it up. Like they totally screw everything up. I don't, Pastor Keith, I don't even know how you can mess this thing up. They are in a garden. Everything is provided for them. They have no needs, no kids and no clothes. I don't know how you fumble that. <laughs> right? But nevertheless, everything gets, gets messed up in this institution of marriage that God created, please note this Up 30, it was the first institution that God created. Even before God invented the church, he created marriage. The first institution ever created. And God says, as all of this happens, Adam and Eve and the whole deal, God says this thing was supposed to be permanent. This is God's ideal. Supposed to be Permanent. Let's keep reading in verse 12 of 1 Corinthians 7. To the rest I say this, I, not the Lord, if any brother has a wife who is not a believer and she's willing to live with him, he must not divorce her. And if a woman has a husband uh, who is not a believer and he's willing to live with her, she must not divorce him, right? He keeps on. In other words, you don't get to walk out on somebody because you disagree. You don't always get to walk out on somebody because they don't have it all together yet. And sometimes I think that we need to be more concerned with what God can do through us to help a situation and help a struggle instead of what somebody else isn't doing for us. God, what can you do through me instead of what this person isn't doing for me? Let's keep reading verse 14. For the unbelieving husband has been sanctified through his wife, and the unbelieving wife has been sanctified through her believing husband. Otherwise, your children would be unclean, but as it is, they are holy. But if the believer leaves, this is, all right, watch this. But if the unbeliever leaves, let it be so. The brother or sister is not bound in such circumstances. God has called us to live in peace. Okay, so watch this, sub 30. Sometimes, sometimes, no matter how badly you wanna keep a marriage together, it takes two. I love, in fact, what Pastor Stovall has said before. It actually takes three, it actually takes three to make it work. It takes you, your spouse, and God, right? We, we see this defined in the Trinity. In, in Genesis, when God speaks and he says, let us create man in our image, us and our, those are plural words. Who's God talking about? He's talking about the Trinity. So watch this. If we're gonna make marriages work in our generation, if we're gonna see marriages healthily and, and, and godly, we have to get this idea of singular thinking out of our mind. Marriage is not singular anymore. It's gonna take two, three to make marriage work. You, your spouse, and God. Marriage is not singular. We're gonna talk some more about that in a little bit, but nevertheless, Paul says right here, there are some times, there are some moments in in life when you've done everything you can do, but the other person still will not stay, right? Right? Some cases, maybe there's a mental illness. Some cases, maybe uh, there's an abusive situation. And please understand this. I don't believe anybody uh, should have to feel physically and emotionally unsafe in their own home. I, I don't believe that for, for one second. And Paul is saying um, the person is not bound in some circumstances. Sometimes there are factors at work that, that pose serious threats and concerns, and, uh, and we need to understand some of those factors. Um, I, you know, I thought about this, the church, right, thankfully not this church, not our church, I'm grateful for that, um, but the church, historically speaking, um, has like straight up ostracized divorced people in the past. I mean, just, just straight up, I mean, like we have totally, I mean, I, I've, I've been around some religious circles throughout my history, and, and people just ostracizing divorced people, I mean, we even label them, we even give them a name, divorcees, right? How would you like your entire life and your label to, to be something, one event that didn't go well in your life? And now you're labeled for the rest of your days, this, this thing that's on you. Man, I'm thankful that's not our church. I'm thankful that's not our God. I'm thankful that the pastors here at Celebration, the leaders here, and the Jesus that we serve, watch this, he's not a God that will close the door on your future because of something that happened in your past. I'm grateful for that. I'm grateful God doesn't shut our future down because of one event that happened in the past that maybe we're not so proud of anymore. Keep reading in verse 16, 1 Corinthians 7. How do you know, wife, whether you will save your husband? And how do you know, husband, uh, whether you will save your wife? How to save your marriage? Um, I understand many in this room tonight, you might not be married yet. That's perfect. This is gonna be great uh, truth and, and understanding and points for you. And when you finally get to marriage, you'll no doubt be better. But, but the question tonight is how do uh, two become one, but then one become two again? If, if you think of it, watch how profound this is. How, how is it that the same two people who are so in love, madly in love with one another, will, will come together and merge and share identities how is it that they, that they get to this place of sharing identities but yet down the road they find themselves at another place where they're only gonna speak through attorneys? How does that happen, right? How, how, how is it that something that promises to bring so much pleasure end up bringing so much pain? How, how is it that you go from using all of your data and minutes on your phone plan just to stay up late at night and hear the other person breathing? Like you ain't even talking. You remember those days like you dating, and you would just stay up late. You're not even talking. Someone's just breathing heavily on the, on the phone to, to one day, watch this, down the road, getting to a place where you can't even sit in the same room together and divide assets and figure out what you're gonna do with the kids. How does this happen? How, how do we get to this place where, where all of these great things are promised, but yet it ends up, bringing so much, so much pain and, and, and heartache, really. And as I preach this tonight, you, you know me, and hopefully you recognize us at Sub 30, our, our aim tonight is, is not to make anyone feel shameful or condemned, we love people, uh, we want you whole, we want you fulfilled, we want on, you on your way doing everything that God's put in your heart to do. I, I want you to be strengthened and encouraged tonight, never beaten up, never feeling awful. But before I give us some points tonight, I wanna address three quick things, okay? This is like a, a preface to what we're gonna talk about. You need to understand these three thoughts tonight. The first one is this, tonight I'm talking about marriage, I'm not talking about dating, okay? Okay? These are gonna be important. I'm talking about marriage. I'm not talking about dating, okay? Because some people, if you're not careful, you might hear some of this tonight, and you might walk out of here thinking like, oh, I I guess I need to get back together with Johnny uh, again, and no, okay, no. Maybe you don't, you know what I mean? Like, that's, that's not what I'm saying, okay? In marriage, it's death do us part, okay? When you're dating, you have another option, okay? If he's treating you bad, okay, if he's putting his hands on you, if he's being verbally abusive, your option is scroll, select, delete, okay? Okay, you got another option. Because once you get married, okay, there's, there's not always that option once you get married. We gotta be careful. So I'm talking to married people tonight and people who will be married one day. I'm not talking about dating relationships. Number two, um, tonight I'm talking, about, uh, I'm talking about your present and your future, not your past. I'm not talking about your past tonight, okay? I'm talking about present and future. There's a good phrase for many of us tonight that I think we need to leave here with, understanding all of what's gonna be taught, and the phrase is this, from this day forward. That's what we're talking about tonight, from this day forward, because I understand this. There's not a one of us in this room that has not been touched by the area of divorce, like, like there's, there's people in Sub-30, you've been divorced. We all know someone who's been divorced. We have maybe parents who've been divorced, friends who have been divorced, separation, the whole deal. We've all been touched and affected by this. And, and some people, as soon as I even say that word, your, your natural tendency is you just wanna shut down and not hear anything else I have to say. Because you think we're here to, to beat you up and to make you feel bad, but, but you know nothing about us if that is what you're thinking. That's not what we're here to do at all. We actually wanna give some life to this topic and help people. I believe this word tonight could, honest to God, save some future marriages that are gonna happen in sub-30, I really believe it. It's not a condemning word, it's a saving word, and this message is not about anybody's mistakes, it's about all of our futures, okay? Talking about futures tonight. The third thing I wanna address is this, and we'll get started, Um, we are not encouraging anybody to stay in relationships that are abusive. We're not encouraging anybody, okay? If he's hitting you, don't just call on Jesus you better call on the police, <laughs> officer nearest you, okay? We wanna get you protected, we wanna get you in a safe environment, okay? We're not encouraging anyone to stay in abusive situations. So the question tonight is how does something that promises to bring so much intimacy end up in isolation? It promises to bring so much pleasure, it ends in so much pain. So I wanna give you just four things tonight There probably could be 100 if we all sat around and thought of things together, but just for the sake of time, I wanna give you four things, four reasons that passion dies. Why does passion die in marriage relationships? This is gonna help married people and it's gonna be great for people who aren't even married yet so you can have this going into relationships as an understanding. Four reasons passion dies. The first one is this. Number one, passion dies when celebration becomes frustration. When celebration becomes frustration. Have you ever noticed that when you start a relationship, you celebrate everything about the other person? Everything they they can do no wrong. You celebrate everything. Like sometimes they're acting a fool and being so stupid. You're like, "He's so silly. I love him. He's so amazing." Right? You celebrate everything. Right? Sometimes I've literally heard, I've seen this happen like in the dating relationships at the beginning, maybe of a marriage, like I've heard girls say, I just like, he's so funny, oh my gosh, he's so funny. He's hilarious, I love his sense of humor. He is just full of comedy all the time. Five years into marriage, you never take nothing serious. How come you can't be serious? Because what you celebrated in the early days, if you're not careful, begins to frustrate you in the later, there's actually another step in, in the midst of what's happening right here. It actually, I think, goes from celebration to toleration to frustration. Sub 30, if, if you don't celebrate, then it's gonna end up frustrating. I'll say it like this. If you tolerate what God has called you to celebrate, it'll eventually frustrate. See, see those things in the early days, you, you, you loved it, right? Sometimes, we've all heard the, the statement this, opposites attract, right? right? Opposites uh, attract, right? Six years into marriage, what you can find out is that opposites attack. Okay? And celebration will become frustration if you're not careful. I, I wanna share something with you. Um, it's called the 80-20 rule. I didn't make it up, but it's a pretty good rule. Um, anyone ever heard of the 80-20 rule? Uh, let me share it to you like this. Um, In a relationship, in a human relationship like marriage, um, there is not a person on this earth who will ever be able to give you 100% of what you want. No one can ever give you 100% of what you want. At best, you might get 80, right? You're gonna get 80% of what you want, but here's what I've seen with humanity is that people in in humanity, we have a proclivity to want to leave the 80% of what we have and what's good to go after the 20% that we don't think we have, right? I see this happen too often in marriage relationships. I see guys, right, I see husbands, they're not happy anymore with the 80% because they got their eyes on this 20% over here. And all I'm gonna say in the midst of all of this is is you better better hope to God that 20% is everything that you think it is. Before you leave this 80% right here. I mean, I see married men, they, they running after 20%. It's like, bro, in no, in no world where math is reigning, will 20% ever outweigh the 80%? You're chasing 20, but you got a solid 80 sitting right in front of you. Don't we have a tendency to do this? It's not just relationships. I see people do this in church. I see people do this in work. We, we, we want to leave the 80 to run after the 20. And, and, and the principle we've probably heard before, if you think the grass is greener on the other side, then you better buy yourself a hose and start watering your own grass. Water your own grass, recognize, man, I got, I got solid 80. I'm not, I'm not leaving, I'm not leaving for 20 for because in no world is the 20 ever gonna match up to the 80, but yet I see it happening over and over and over. It's just a warning to a sub 30, don't fall into that trap. If you're married, don't fall into that trap. If you're even struggling with that right now, right, and maybe you haven't even told your spouse, because maybe it's not that honest right now but between the two of you, don't fall into that trap. It's a, it's a lie of the enemy. The 20 is never gonna satisfy, ever, ever. Man, you got, you got something good in front of you that God's brought to you, don't fall into that. Don't let what you used to celebrate begin to frustrate. The second thing I wanna talk about tonight is this. Um, number two, passion dies when we becomes me. When we becomes me, listen, if you're married, you are not a me anymore. You're, you're a we. It's you and your spouse together. I had someone tell me one time years ago, well, man, I just feel like when I got married, I just kind of lost myself. I lost who I, who I was when I got married. That's the point. <laughs> exactly, right? It's, it's no longer me. It's, it's we, and marriages get in trouble when we Becomes me. When you're married, you don't get to use first person singular anymore. Life and its decisions are are not just about you and what you want because there's another person involved here. There's a we that's involved. Okay, let let me share it with you like this. It was uh, a couple weeks ago, right? My alarm goes off, I'm laying in bed, and uh, I roll over, and I I hit my alarm, which is on my phone, and I I grab my phone, and I kind of have a routine. Like, I check the weather on my phone, and I'm looking, you know, social media, whatever, you're checking your email, whatever you're doing, you know? And I noticed, like, God, it was like the Wi-Fi was so extremely slow. And I was like, what in the world is happening right now? This is driving me crazy. Like, I cannot figure this out. I'm literally laying in bed just, like, over and over and over, and, like, you know how you do. Like, you're refreshing the page a 100 times, praying to God, it just comes up. And, and finally, like Bethany, she's, she's laying in bed right next to me. Finally, I was like, God, what is wrong with the Wi-Fi right now? This is so ridiculously slow. And Bethany goes, oh, I forgot to tell you. Uh, yesterday, I actually saved us $20 because I changed the plan. I just kind of bumped us down like a plan. And, 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 it, and it saved us $20 though. And I was like, you did What? You did what with the Wi-Fi? That's not a me decision. That is a big life altering decision. Talking about I would rather walk to work than have slow internet in my house. Okay, like if we are that hard up for $20, I would rather get rid of the washer and dryer and hand wash my clothes and put them on a line outside in the sun before have slow internet. Slow internet, right? It's a we decision. That is a, you better discuss that, right? So I looked at it, I was like, you call them back today. You, you get our internet back today, right? It's a, it's a we decision. It's no longer me in marriage, right? When you get married, listen, there, there ain't no his and hers when you get married. Keith, you know I'm telling the truth. There ain't no his and hers, it's ours, when you get married, let me ask all the single guys right now. Hey, single guys, uh, do you enjoy having a bathroom right now? Because when you get married, you will not have a bathroom anymore. It, it'll, it'll, it, it'll, 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 it'll be told to you, hey, this is our bathroom. It ain't your bathroom. It's gonna be her bathroom, okay? All right, you, you, don't, you don't get to put your stuff anywhere. Do you enjoy having a closet right now, single guys? Do you like hanging your stuff up on hangers? and it's just like right here at eye level and you can just take it off and put the jacket on. And it's nice. When you get married, you don't have a closet anymore. Your stuff will be in a pile in the back of the closet and if you wanna get to your jeans, you will move her shoes out of the way to get your jeans and then you'll put her shoes back like you found them. Come on. It ain't me anymore when you get married. This is, this is we, it is, it's ours, right? You're gonna get tricked sometimes, but the principle is that it's ours, okay? It's ours. It's not me. It's we, you know, the Bible gives us a really great example that helps us with this. In Mark chapter 2, we don't have time to read it, but in Mark chapter 2, the Bible tells us about a guy that was sick and he had some awesome friends that wanted to get him to Jesus and he, and he couldn't get himself there and so they put him on this mat and, and some friends carried him and if you know the story, they, they get to the house and the house is full, they can't get in, they go up to the top of the roof, they, they dig a hole in the roof and they lower their friend to Jesus and, and the friend ends up getting healed and in Mark chapter 2, Jesus actually says that it was because of their faith, come on, that's awesome, it was because of their faith that this man is getting healed and and as I heard that, the principle is this, who do you care enough about to carry? Who do you care enough about to carry at times? Because in marriage, there will be seasons when you have to carry your spouse and there will be seasons when your spouse has to carry you. That's why it's we. It's not me. Because you're going to have to do some carrying and you're going to be thankful that someone there, someone's there to, to help carry you at times, it's, it's we, it's never about me. I'm telling you man, tonight God can save a future marriage by some of this stuff. He could save a current marriage by some of this stuff. I, I even heard last week that there was a couple people who were in our sub 30 service last week who were literally about to file papers. Literally about to be like, this thing is over. Our marriage has been on the rocks and we are done with this thing. But last week, God was dealing with people. God was speaking to people. I believe they're either in the room tonight, they're watching online. God is saving marriages through the power of his word and the Holy Spirit. Number three, number three, the third thing tonight is passion dies. I love this one. When debtors become collectors. When debtors become collectors. <clears throat> when, when debtors become collectors, and one of the most bizarre parables that Jesus ever told in Matthew chapter 18, verse 21, Peter asks the question, he looks at Jesus, he's like, hey Jesus, um, you know, you've been talking about grace, you've been talking about love, you've been talking about all this stuff, it's really, really good, Jesus, we love it, um, but Jesus, if someone does me wrong, Jesus, right, Peter's got some beef, apparently, with some people, uh, Jesus, if somebody does me wrong, how many times, like, should I, should I forgive somebody? How many times should I forgive him, Jesus? Hey Jesus, what about seven, right? Peter's thinking like, that's pretty impressive. That's, that's a lot, Jesus. Like, just, I'm not, guys, you hear that? Seven times, you know? Peter's really, really impressed with himself. I mean, seven times, that sounds like a lot. And, and Jesus answers, Jesus is like, nope, nope, not, not, not seven, but for I say to you, 70 times seven, right? What Jesus is about to do right here, Sub so 30, is he is about to lift the lid off of how much grace you can extend another person. That's what he's about to do. Seven is the number of completion. So what Jesus is basically saying is, how many times should you forgive? Completion times completion. As many times as it takes. That's how many times you should forgive. Now, now note this, please. Um, Jesus is not meaning that we should just let people abuse us, use us, uh, treat us bad, walk all over us all the time. That's not what he's saying. Sometimes you do need to distance yourself in certain relationships, in order to keep yourself safe physically and emotionally and the whole deal. But what Jesus is saying is, watch this, in your heart, you gotta forgive them as many times as it takes for you to stay free. You understand that about forgiveness, right? Someone's like, hey, will you forgive me? It's not about me giving them something that they want when I forgive another person. When I forgive, it keeps me out of the penitentiary of bitterness. It might do a healing work in them, but it's gonna keep me free as often I, as I can keep forgiving and extending grace to other people. But, but Peter, he's still not getting it, right? He still doesn't understand, so he's like, so wait, Jesus, so like after your math, does that mean I can choke him out and, and just do whatever I want? And Jesus like, Peter, you're an idiot, so let me keep talking. Um. And Peter goes on, or Jesus goes on, and he shares another illustration. And this is what he says, Matthew 18, verse 23. He says, therefore, the kingdom of heaven is like a king who wanted to settle accounts with his servants. Now, as he, as he began the settlement, a man who owed him 10,000 bags, everyone say bag. 10,000 bags of gold was brought to him. And since he was not able to pay, the master ordered that he and his wife and his children and all that he had be sold to repay the debt. Verse 26, and at this, the servant fell on his knees before him, saying, be patient with me, he begged, and I will pay back everything. Everything. Say payback. That's important, payback. The servant's master took pity on him, and he canceled the debt, and he let him go. Now, what this is right here, sub 30, is this is a picture of religion trying to pay back the debt. Understand this first and foremost. You could never pay back the debt. You could never pay back the debt that we owe Jesus. That wasn't happening. So the master, in his great grace and in his great mercy, he canceled the debt that was owed. This is what Jesus did for you and I. We, we, We owed something that we could never pay, so he paid what he didn't even need to pay, okay? He canceled our debt. And now you would expect this guy in the story to leave this moment and pay it forward, but he doesn't. So so watch what happens because once you have a payback mentality, it's very, very hard to get out of that. The the man had to pay something back. I need you to follow me on this. He he had to pay something back and and he went to the master knowing that he owed a lot and he's like, hey, let me pay it back. Let me pay it back. It's a payback mentality and if your relationship with God is based on a payback mentality, then you're going to have a hard time in human relationships because how do you ever give grace if you don't know how to receive it, right? Right? And so the man has his debt forgiven, but his mindset hasn't changed. Unfortunately, that's where a lot of Christians are. And what happens in verse 28, let's watch this. But when that servant went out, got his debt paid, he's gone, he went out, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him 100 silver coins. Everyone say coins. This dude owed bags, but now he's finding someone that just owes him some coins and he grabbed them and he began to choke him. Pay back what you owe me, he demanded. His fellow servant fell to his knees and begged him, "Hey, just just be patient with me, and I will pay it back." But he refused, and instead, he went off and he had the man thrown into prison until he could pay the debt. Isn't that amazing? Dude had ten thousand bags that he owed, but now he's coming after this other dude for chump change, chump change. Understand this, sub 30. I don't care what anyone in this life has ever done to you or how they have wronged you, it is chump change compared to how our sins have offended a holy God. It's chump change. And, and what happens in marriages when passions die and marriages fall apart is when you have spouses who are debtors, but they try to come be collectors. They try to come and get what they get what is owed to me, and I think this happens so often in in life. A spouse has the other spouse imprisoned for something that happened a long, long time ago, for something that they did, and now they're emotionally imprisoned for something that's happened. And if you insist by living in this payback method, what you're gonna realize is that the method of payback um, will always lead to you being the one punished. Watch what I mean right here. Because in verse 31, when the other servants saw what had happened, they were outraged and they went and they told their master everything that had happened. Then the master called the servant in, right? The big guy who who forgave the debt. He called the servant in. He's like, dude, you wicked servant. I canceled all that debt of yours because you begged me to. Shouldn't you have had mercy on your fellow servant just as I had on you? And in his anger, his master handed him over to the jailers to be tortured until he should now pay back all that he owed. So 30, the point is this. How dare we get on our knees and ask God for forgiveness and, and God, please grant me mercy and God, please grant me grace and then you get up off your knees and you stand over your spouse demanding payback. Pay me what you owe me. Do for me what you better do. How dare we We go to God saying, God, I screwed up again. I, pl- I please need some more grace. I, I please need some more forgiveness. And, and, and we want all that from God, but then we go back to our spouse and we wanna lord our authority over them in a marriage relationship. You see, when debtors become collectors, marriages will fall apart. Every single time. Every single time, they're gonna fall apart. Sub 30, I, I just thought I needed to remind us tonight, don't ever forget how you came into your relationship with God as a debtor. You owed a lot. We owed a lot. But yet the Father, the great Father, in, in, in only the way that he can, models to all of humanity, you know what? I, I'm not gonna make you pay me back anything. I'm not gonna stand over you and me, you better work this off until you pay me back for all your sins and all your stuff. No, God shows us, models for us. Here's, here's how you extend grace. Here's how you extend forgiveness but too often in marriage, debtors become collectors. We gotta learn how to forgive, sub-30. Gotta learn how to forgive. The Bible reminds us of this. um, He who has been forgiven much, loves much. He who's been forgiven much, loves much. Marriages will change if we can understand this principle together. Love will take you further than the law ever could. I love that about the Bible. And Jesus says this, that there are some scenarios in, in, in life Right, we've talked about a few of them. There are some scenarios that yes, they are grounds for divorce, but those same scenarios are also grounds for forgiveness. And the choice sometimes really rests on the spouse and, and, and what are you gonna do? Like, we've already talked about what's grounds for divorce. We recognize there are some things. Keep yourself safe. Don't be in abusive, harmful situations, right? Like we, we understand things like that, but I'm just telling you sometimes when, when someone does someone wrong and it's going to happen, have I, ever done, have I ever done Bethany wrong? Yeah. Have I ever done stupid things and shot my mouth off and said dumb stuff that I wish I could take back? Have I ever said I was gonna do something and then didn't follow through and do it? Have I, yes, 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 yes. But sometimes in marriages, you don't just always look for the way out. Sometimes in marriage relationships, you're not always looking like, okay, well, I'm, I'm, gonna, I'm gonna remember that one because if they ever do that again, then I'm gonna bring it up and we're gonna, we're gonna. Sometimes in marriage relationships, it's like, you know what? There was a God who gave me so much grace. Who am I to now stand over you and say, pay me back? Yeah. Who am I to do that when I've received so much from God? Don't allow yourself to become a collector inside of a marriage relationship. As the band comes up, the last one I wanna talk about tonight it's powerful, this last one. Passion dies when covenant becomes contract. Passion and marriages die when covenant becomes contract. Even when I say the word covenant in here tonight, I'm afraid that there's a whole generation of people that don't even understand what that word means. They don't even understand what the word covenant means. And I'll show it to you like this. I was in Arkansas a while back. Pastor Layton was with me and we were hanging out and with some friends of ours, and we were at uh, a big youth gathering that was there, and um, we were in Arkansas, right? And, and, and as we're hanging out, kind of before and after the service, I, I saw some middle school uh, guys, and, and they were on those things, like I don't, it was like those hoverboard things, right? Like we all know what that is, and you know, like you, you lean forward, and here they are, they're going, and they're the whole deal, and. Um, and uh, up until that point, I had seen I had seen them online and Instagram and stuff, but I'd never actually like seen one in person. So I'm like walking over, I'm like watching these middle school dudes, and they're like doing all these tricks and they're doing all this stuff. And I actually said this to one of them. I was like, "Dude, man, that thing is that thing is sweet, man. That's that's almost like one of those Back to the Future hoverboards." That's what I said to him. I was like, "Dude, that's almost like one of those Back to the Future hoverboards." Now, who knows what I'm talking about when I say Back to the Future hoverboard? Right, right. That's almost like one of those Back to the Future hoverboards. And the middle school boy looks back at me and he goes, what's a Back to the Future board? I was like, oh dear God, only the greatest movie of all time. Right, right? Here I am, I'm trying to explain a board that was in this movie, but yet he doesn't even get the movie reference, okay? And I feel like we're in a generation now where we're trying to explain marriage, but people don't even understand the word covenant. Like it's not even computing in their mind. Covenant, I don't even. what are you talking, what is that? And covenant is not a contract. I think we all know what contracts are. We, we sign them when we get a car. You sign them when you're making payments on a house, on an apartment, like we all know what a contract is. And the thing about a contract is a contract is based on mutual distrust. I don't really trust you and you don't really trust me, so we're gonna have to sign this contract to make sure both of us do what we say we're gonna do. Mutual distrust. If you will, then I will. Marriage is not a contract. Marriage is a covenant. A contract is built to find loopholes. Like even in a contract, if you have a good enough attorney, you can take it to the attorney, and he will flip it and look at it from every angle to try to find you a loophole so that you can get out of what you signed. Marriage is not a contract. Marriage is... A covenant. And a covenant, man, these days, like, it's so easy. Covenants are so easy these days in, in the context of marriage. All we do is we just say like three sentences of vows and we exchange rings. That's, that's all we do these days. I've, I've officiated a lot of weddings, been to a lot of weddings, we all have. That, like That's all that we do now in marriage, is we just, oh, here's a couple sentences, here's a ring and the whole deal. And But you need to know something about Old Testament covenant. What they would do in the Old Testament is when two people were entering into a covenant, not just marriage, but this could be a covenant about anything. This could be a deal about about land or about, about families, about, I mean, a whole bunch of stuff. When they would enter into a covenant relationship, what they would do is they would get a bull and they would literally cut this bull in half. It's a bad day for the bull when a covenant's being made, right? Okay. And so they would cut this bull in half. And now, here there's two parts and there's blood and all sorts of stuff, just guts in the middle and the whole deal. And the people that, the two people that were entering into the covenant, they would walk back and forth through all of this mess and this bull that was now split open. They would walk back and forth seven times. And what they're basically saying is if at any point I break my covenant and my vow, let what happened to this bull happen to me. It's heavy. It's a lot heavier than how people are getting married these days, right? That's what we're talking about when we talk about covenant. And when I was typing out this message, man, it was like God just showed up in my Word document because as I went to type in the word covenant, autocorrect literally changed the word to convenient. Sub 30, let me tell you this. Covenants aren't always convenient. We're we're living in a society where everyone wants their marriage to be the most convenient thing in the world. And if it's no longer convenient for me, well then I guess it's about time I pack up and find somewhere else that will be more convenient. Covenants aren't always convenient. They're, They're not always easy. But if marriages are gonna make it, it's going to take a, a covenant. Like, like I wasn't playing around. I can't speak for the rest of humanity, but I wasn't playing around when I said for better or worse, for richer, for poor, in sickness and in health. Like, like that wasn't a joke to me, but I'm telling you, I, I, I don't officiate weddings like this because I feel like I'm, I'm gonna know the couple that I'm gonna marry before I marry them. But, but there are some weddings that are happening these days where the vows that these two people are exchanging are laughable because they have no intent of doing anything that they're saying. Like it's literally laughable and the world is laughing at marriage these days because of what a joke it's turning into for so many people. Because people don't understand what they're saying, they don't understand covenant, they don't understand vows, they don't understand any of this stuff. A covenant is not a tryout. People are trying out marriage. Marriage is not some 30 day trial, 60 day trial, 90 day trial if you're, you know, Kim Kardashian and whoever, and you know, like, it's not a tryout. It's a covenant that you enter into saying, this is for better or worse. And if you don't think you're ever gonna see worse, you're fooling yourself. As soon as you say worse, worse is gonna come knocking on your door. As soon as you say for richer or for poor, one of you is gonna get laid off. Like, if you don't think you're gonna see the full spectrum of the vows that you spoke, you will see them. But you made a covenant. You made a covenant that said, I'm I'm in this thing. And watch this, Sub 30. This is the powerful thing in all of it. You and I are here today because we have a covenant-keeping God. You and I are sitting in this room today because we serve a God who keeps his covenants. And let me say this, God keeping his covenant for humanity hasn't always been convenient. For there, there are so many times throughout history that humans haven't been the easiest people on the world to deal with. God keeping a covenant has been pretty inconvenient at times. It wasn't convenient for God to send Jesus, his only son into the earth. That wasn't convenient. It wasn't convenient for Jesus to be mocked and ridiculed every day of his ministry, having to defend himself, having to speak up for himself when everyone else was fleeing and running when trouble came. That wasn't convenient. It wasn't convenient for Jesus to be mocked and and spit on. It wasn't convenient for nails to be driven through his hands and his feet. It wasn't convenient for him to get up on a cross and die for the sins of the world. It wasn't convenient for a crown of thorns to be put on his head. It wasn't convenient as said sat there for hours and hours and hours in agony so that you and I can be reconciled back to the father it wasn't convenient but the reason we're here today is because God keeps his covenant God always keeps his covenant he's a covenant-keeping God we can we can get back To the Father, we can actually have a a genuine relationship. We can look the Father God fully in the face one day because God keeps his covenant. You think covenant is convenient? Not always. It's not even convenient for God. What makes it think it's gonna be convenient for all of us? Covenant keeping can be tough sometimes. You know, I debated on whether or not to share this but I guess I'll share it. We can all stand to our feet and we're gonna pray. My grandfather, who I loved very, very much, many of you know he passed away last year, but in the latter years of his life, he was uh, just an amazing encourager and a provider for the entire family, just, uh, at one point, he kind of had a lot and he would give a lot. If there's one thing that you could say about my grandfather, he was extremely generous in that regard and he would give and give and give, resource and money and, and all that kind of stuff. And um, Even at the end, when he didn't really have as much anymore, he was still finding ways to be generous and, and he was a prayer warrior for our family. But but um, but my grandfather in the early days, when, when my mom and her sister were, were young, um, my papa wasn't always the nicest man to be around. Um, he could be very difficult at times, and um, and he wasn't always nice to my grandmother, his wife, and and uh, they certainly had their share of, of blowout World War III fights and the whole deal. Um, he, he wasn't always a faithful man, if you know what I mean, and, and he had um, he had his own his own shortcomings, just like all of us, right? He had his own issues, but but my grandmother, for all of those years, for decades and decades of sometimes being mistreated very very badly, sometimes when she even had grounds for divorce, biblically and in every other way you could flip it, um, she, she, she never left my grandfather, she stayed with him and they worked it out. And, and I'll never forget last year um, in the summer when my, when my papa was passing away, there's this, there's this picture that's in my mind now of, of the family and, and the whole family is there as he's taking his last breath. And, and, and I thought about this, the reason the whole family is here together and the reason we're all here sharing this moment together as he's passing into eternity is because there was a woman who kept her covenant. There was a woman. There was a woman who said, you know what? There are some things here that could be possible, grounds for divorce, but these same scenarios are also grounds for forgiveness. Now, I'm not saying it was easy and I don't pretend to know what every single person in here is going through. And your circumstances might be so escalated and so heavy that you really need to talk to someone about what to do next, I, I don't know. But, I, but I'm just here to say that it was this beautiful picture of redemption as a family was gathered around a man passing into heaven because a woman decided to keep her covenant. It's not always convenient, Sub 30. Marriage isn't always the easiest thing in the world. I, I do believe it to be one of the most rewarding things. One of the the biggest blessings you'll ever experience in life when when you link up with just an amazing man or amazing woman and God brings that person into your world and you're sharing life together and you're laughing together and you're creating children together and you're building a livelihood and a family together. It's gonna be so rewarding, the memories and and the whole deal. But but if you don't think those vows that you said, you're ever gonna have to actually live them, it's gonna happen. But if we understand covenant, then it's gonna help us tremendously. I wanna do something right now. If you're married or engaged to be married, I just want you to put your hand in the air right now, if that's you. If you would, if your spouse is here, maybe you're by yourself, or your spouse isn't with you tonight, I just want you to come out of your seat. I just want you to come forward because I wanna pray for you. If you're married or engaged to be married. I just wanna pray for you specifically. Give you just a second to come down and people are coming from the back, so we'll just wait. If you ever want to be married, you can come down too. No, I'm just kidding. (laughs) Someone's like, oh geez, oh (laughs) uh (laughs) wait for me, Pastor, wait for me. Uh I just want to pray for you, right? Um, I just wanna pray because uh, the world needs more examples of godly men and women doing marriage well, entering into covenant and, and doing what they said they were gonna do and being faithful in the whole deal. And uh, we need examples. And, uh, and God's brought you and your spouse together because you're meant to be an example. And, uh, and we wanna honor that. And I wanna pray a prayer blessing over you. So uh, see, we can bow our heads and I just wanna pray. Father, in Jesus' name, I thank you for these individuals. God, I thank that you've, you've brought people together Lord, I thank you that, Lord, uh, the covenant of marriage is something that you take very serious and Lord, we wanna take it serious as well. God, we're not here to sign contracts with one another. We're not here to find loopholes of how we can get out of, uh, of, of just, oh, we're tired and we don't, we don't wanna do what we said we were gonna do and, and the whole deal. God, we're, we're here to be models of truthfully your relationship with the church, how it's everlasting and it's permanent and it's meaningful and it's life-giving And uh, Lord, I just pray that when the enemy tries to come and he tries to separate and drive wedges of of tension and frustration, God, that we would not welcome frustration, but in those moments we would go back to celebration. God, we would celebrate the other person. We would celebrate uh, the things that, Lord, we loved about each other in the beginning and we got excited and we got giddy about, I, I get to hang out with this person, I get to be with this person. God, don't let those things frustrate us. God, it's the stuff that made us fall in love with each other in the first place. So God, I just speak a blessing. Lord, I, I thank you for the, the, the blessing that marriage has been to myself and Bethany. And God, I pray that any, any fulfillment that we have felt in our marriage, God, I pray that every couple in here would feel that fulfillment. God, I pray that people who are on the rocks, that people who are, have even discussed and, and divorce has come out of their mouth and papers have been considered, God, I pray that you would silence the voice of the enemy and that you would allow the voice of reconciliation and redemption to come back into our home, the voice of second chances. God, I pray where there might just be a few embers burning where there once was that passionate fire, God, that you would rekindle that fire in relationships, that you would bring people back to the love that they felt in the early days, I pray in Jesus' name. God, bless marriages, Lord, for the people engaged, bless future marriages, I pray. For everybody in here who wants to be married, God, lead the right person, bless marriages, As we do things your way, with your mindset, God, by your word and your standard, God, I thank you that you don't bless marriage contracts, but you do bless marriage covenants. And Lord, we welcome your blessing on our life. We submit this relationship to you in Jesus' name. Everyone said amen. Amen, let's put our hands together.